And a lot of times the, the things we fantasize about aren't actually the things that we would do. But if we can understand the emotional need underneath it, you know, maybe fantasize about being dominated and, you know, tied down and handcuffed and whipped with a flogger, but that's like a little outside of your comfort zone in your relationship. Maybe it's because you like the idea of being submissive because you make all of the decisions all day and you are in a a corporate job and you have this really high stress situations every day where you have to make all the decisions. And in sex, you'd like to just not. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we save a seat for you. Welcome to Mom After Hours. This is our first show of 2021, and I am so happy to have you here with me in the new year. If this is your first time joining me, my name is Brandi Wytrack, your fellow mama in arms, and I am the host of Mom After Hours. I am so excited that you're here with me today because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, SEX. If there's any kiddos in the room, send them on their way, (laughs) because we're going to dig into some pretty crazy topics today. Um, Sex is something that's often left on the back burner when you become a parent, but it's exceptionally important for maintaining a healthy and happy marriage or relationship. And when I say sex, we're not just talking penetration here, folks. We're talking foreplay, intimacy, sexual fantasies, everything that encompasses sex as we know it. Dr. Celeste Holbrook, a sexologist, speaker, and author, is on the show today to empower women, help us address the roadblocks that are preventing us from having a wonderful sex life. She's offering ways to communicate your needs and sexual desires with your partner and create better connection overall. Her mission is to educate women on how to improve their relationship and sex life and grow in confidence and spirituality and love. She's a contributor to Women's Health Magazines, Reader's Digest, and so much more. She knows her stuff. If it wasn't apparent enough, mamas, as I mentioned, we are digging into some meaty topics such as BDSM, blowjobs, etc., etc., So keep the volume down low or the kids at bay, okay? Without further ado, let's get down to business. So first things first, how in the heck did you become a sexologist? (laughs) Well, that's a really great question, Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Right. Yeah. So I grew up in a conservative town here in Texas and with some pretty conservative upbringing, I waited until I was married to have penetrative sex. And that's neither here nor there. But when I did eventually have sex, we got married in Austin in the morning um, because my daddy always said, if you get married in the morning, if it doesn't work out, you haven't wasted the whole day. Uh, and so <laughs> I like your dad. I know. He's, he's pretty <laughs> practical. <laughs> 
So we got married in the morning, beautiful day in Austin. We went to our hotel room and I, you know, what peeled off my fake eyelashes and fake hair and Spanx. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the Spanx, oh, especially absolutely. on those special days. <laughs> on those special days, right? <laughs> I say the Spanx is like the minivan of underwear. <laughs> It's a mini super, super I, it, it's life holds everybody in. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm gonna have to use that. I love that. No, Spanx is my savior. Oh my gosh. It make uh, you turn from a six to a ten instantly. There you no, go. Not, there's not a whole lot that can do that. Not much out there that can do that. Yeah. Except it's a little humiliating peeing through that tiny hole and like getting your hands wet every time. But but that's <laughs> hey, I, I applaud you for even trying to do that, girl. I would I would like have a work, full workout trying to peel the thing off, and I'm like dying. What's worse is when you get the lines on you. So when yeah. you do actually have sex or you make it out with someone, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to take this off earlier because otherwise you can see all the evidence on my body. <laughs> You've been like I'm stuffed in here like a yeah, like a sausage. little sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, since then have liberated my body quite a bit and and choose to very rarely wear things that make me feel uncomfortable. But that was, you know, 13 years ago and I was stuffed into my Spanx and I was I had the silly um, chicken cutlet strapless backless bra, you know, the one that sticks to your boobs. Yes, (laughs) I had that on. So it was a real good, you know, entry ramp into my first <laughs> sexual experience, peeling okay. off all as of these. As long as you remember to take off the cutlets before you actually jump in the bed. Yeah. Well, I thought he was going to be on the on the phone with his lawyer. Like, this has been a bait and switch. Like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> He's like, wait a second. Like, you know, I think a lot of guys think that way where, you know, they, they see the girl on that first date, we're wearing a full face of makeup or at least mascara, you know, where, where we look yeah. a lot pretty different than what we different. look like when, in the morning. And you're so jazzed up, dolled up and everything. Mm-hmm. And then when life kind of settles in and then it's like, uh, yep, this is what I really look like. I look greasy and I wear worn out sweats yeah. and I don't have any boobs. Those are padded. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is like the different, the different side. I've been trying to teach my daughters that like when I wear makeup, it's just a different look, you know, it's not a prettier one. It's just a different one. <laughs> I like because, that. So I'm in the hotel room for, we've had sex for the first time, have penetrative sex for the first time. And it's really painful. And I'm 26 and I thought maybe I just have a like an old rusty vagina. Maybe I just have to like, you know, scoop out the cobwebs or something. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, but I'll just, you know, keep trying. And I remember walking around Austin later that day because it was still daytime. Because <laughs> you listen to your daddy. Yeah, that's right. That's a good <laughs> Texas girl. And I remember thinking like, I, this still hurts. Like this was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I was very confused. I had waited for this day for my whole life. And that's like the first feeling of sexual shame um, started. And so for the whole first year of my marriage, we had pretty painful sex and it kind of grew into things like resentment and anger. I was angry at him for wanting sex. It was a very normal thing, right? For him to want sex with his wife, but I was angry at him because it hurt and I felt ashamed that I wasn't living up to who I thought I should be. And so it was really rough. Our first year was really rough. We were away from home. We lived in Missouri for the first two years of medical school. And um, it was just really hard on our marriage. And so after a year, I decided like, okay, I'm going to go see the OB-GYN. Maybe something, there's physically something has to be wrong with me. So I went to the OB-GYN, did a full exam, physical exam. And 
afterwards he said, you know what, Celeste, I can't find anything physically wrong here. Um, I think all of this pain will go away as soon as you have a kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, geez. I- that's not good. It's terrible advice, right? It's terrible yeah, advice. That's horrible um, advice. It was horrible advice. One, we could one we couldn't afford a kid even if we decided we wanted one. We didn't want kids at the time. We were both still in grad school. And um, it's just not something that was on my radar at all, nor do kids ever actually fix anything, right? <laughs> yeah. I wonder what his thinking was behind that. If it meant like um, you have a small vagina and your vagina is going to stretch out when you have a baby, so you'll be fine. Because I'm like, yeah. normally after kids, you're drier down there. You need yes. more lubricant. Like there's normally extra steps you have to do after kids after. that you didn't do pre-kids typically. Totally. So, and if you've had a episiotomy or a tear, any, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was not great advice. And to give you some context, this was the same OB-GYN because I didn't know who to go to. This is the same OB-GYN who delivered me into the world with my mother. So, oh, holy <laughs> crap. Oh, yeah. So he's old school. It was a guy, so he right? Was old school. Yeah. yeah. He was old school. So and bless him. I think yeah. he was really trying. But so I didn't know it. But that was the point where I felt like I had to take this narrative back. I had to figure out what was going on. I had to educate myself. I had to try new things to figure out how to make sex better for myself. And so I was already getting a PhD. And so I started to study sexuality. I offered to teach the sexual um, sexual behavior course at the, because I was a grad assistant at the time. I offered to see, teach the sexual behavior course because I wanted to learn more. Um, <laughs> and so I just started educating myself and I realized that I had not been given much of an education at all. In fact, I had kind of been given the opposite, this abstinence only education where if you just wait, sex will be great. You know, this kind of prosperity gospel of sex. And Mm -hmm. um, it kind of taught my body that sex was dangerous years and years and years of a church system or a community that says you have to wait until you get married to have sex teaches you that you teaches your body, at least that you should be scared. And so essentially my body was shutting down during sex, trying to keep me quote unquote safe from this perceived threat. Like I couldn't just switch that off after Mm -hmm. I, you know, signed the marriage certificate. And so what I did was I just educated myself and I started working on those kind of internal messaging systems that were holding me back. And eventually over time we figured it out and sex became glorious and really fun. Like it was supposed to be, you know, you're like, Oh, this is how it was supposed to be. I get it. (laughs) Exactly. And so I figured if I could figure it out, you know, I was getting this degree in health education already. I added sex, sexology and sexual behavior. I could probably help somebody else figure it out. So I bet your husband, how did he, what did he think at that time when you were like, you know what, I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. Was he thinking, oh, that's just part of her education. It's normal. Or was she, was he kind of like, oh, you're going to be studying sexuality and or sexuality stuff or how did he feel about it? He was, he's always been really supportive. I get this question quite a bit. Like, what did your husband think when you're going through this? And I just married an incredible person. (laughs) Like I have, I have to say that I just married this amazing person who was willing to like, okay, let's just do outer course. Let's just do, you know, these other things. Let's figure it out together. Just stood by me every step of the way, but he's not me, right? I had to figure it out no matter how much he could help or have suggestions it was me that had to undo the messaging of my past. And so he was really supportive when we 
um, when I decided I was like, I'm going to kind of start studying sex. He was like, yeah, he didn't grow up the same way I grew up either. And so there was not like this internal messaging that had to have happen. It was really supportive. So when I started to, you know, kind of study sexology, he was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, he just, he didn't come with like this built-in shame that I did <laughs> around it. I think it that happens to women even more so. I mean, just think of what we have to go through in order to have sex. I mean, men just have to insert something that's not really... I mean, no, I'm not trying to diminish like if they had previous traumas or anything sure. like that. But I mean, how painful is it for them? They insert and then that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, we've got it inside. They've got the outer parts. So I feel like it's just, it's a lot more complicated for women in that regard too. But I know yeah. there's a lot of ways that we can have sex, whether it's penetration or foreplay and just connect with our partners. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that you decided to study that and kind of learn a little bit more because now today you are helping women overcome those blocks that you experienced earlier yeah. in your life. So yeah. what have you found to be those biggest roadblocks or issues um, preventing women from having an amazing sex life? So you alluded to one that you experienced. What are some of the others? If you hear nothing, if you're listening right now and you're like, I need to help, get help, some help with my sex life, hear this one thing. Responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. Responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. So that's why sex can often make babies and babies can often mean the end of sex (laughs) (laughs) True, because yeah, we, this is a time in our life when you have an infant that feels like the most responsibility of your entire life. You have to keep this, not only keep the child alive, but you have to teach them to thrive and all that. And so responsibilities are typically the one thing that keep us from accessing our eroticism to the fullest that we can. Um, and that could be little things like, you know, thinking about how you still need to fold that load of laundry <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. while you're in the middle of sex or thinking about, you know, you need to make this phone call to your mom or um, those work files that are sitting across the room for you, you know, so responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. And typically, and this is a very gendered statement, right? But typically women have a harder time compartmentalizing than men, which serves us well in a lot of ways. Like we can remember things a little bit better because we have stream of consciousness thinking, but for sex, (laughs) it actually interferes because you can like lay down in the bed and be like, Oh, these sheets feel so good. I am so excited about this. And you're looking up at the ceiling and thinking about things. And then you're like, should I paint the ceiling cotton instead of linen? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's like a spot on the wall. I need to clean that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, that's, I totally concur with that statement. What's actually pretty funny is right before I jumped on this call, my husband who is also working from home, you know, during this time, Mm-hmm. he's all like, Hey babe, you know, he's trying to be like all like, how you doing kind of thing. And I'm like, and I have so much stuff that I've got to get done. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, this is about to start in like 10 minutes. And he's like, Duh. and I'm like, no, no. Like I just shut him down this for that reason. Happen. I'm like, I got too much going on. I can't talk to you. I can't, I can't try to entertain any of those thoughts right now. I've got too much on my plate. Like I just completely shut him down, but no, yes, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And for a lot of women, uh, stress, eliminate sex. And for a lot of men, again, a very gendered statement, I recognize gender is a continuum, but for a lot of men, sex eliminates stress. That's such the truth. You're right. So he is seeking out like a stress eliminator, like, oh, he probably has a ton of shit, ton of stuff to do too. 
but he's looking towards sex as a stress eliminator and you're looking at the stress as a sex eliminator. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel too that women tend to need more of the emotional connection. Like they've got like, they've got to be doing like really well with their partner, like not be annoyed with them or frustrated in order to like get into that mindset where with men, it's like, it doesn't matter if you literally just woke up and you look like, you know, a scary person from a scary movie or whatever, or if you had just fought, like they're normally pretty just like, oh, you want to have sex? Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Where it's easy for them to just kind of always have that switch on where yeah. sometimes we need to have that switch flipped on in order for it, all that stuff to happen. Yeah. And I think if we looked deeper into that statement, I think we would find that men need just as much emotional connection as women, but they seek it through sexuality versus like women again, need to kind of feel that first and then it helps us get into sex. Yes. So how can we overcome these roadblocks? How can we boost that intimacy and just like improve our sex lives overall, especially once we become parents? It's, you know, you know how it is. Once you become a parent, it's like, <laughs> it's, it changes quite a bit in that, in that area. It does indeed. When I'm working with couples or, you know, a person on their own who, who wants to improve sex, we always kind of take an external look first, and then we kind of dive deeper into the internal work. So externally, start to think about how to make your environment more conducive to better sex, more sex, whatever. Environment matters a great deal. We don't talk about this very much, but environment matters a great deal. So in your bedroom, if you have, if we go back to the statement that responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal, if you have things like your work computer or the laundry or I don't know, pictures of your kids, (laughs) (laughs) you know, stuff that's there that reminds you of you know, sometimes your responsibilities are incredibly beautiful and you love them, but they don't help you have better sex. So my statement is in your bedroom, if it doesn't help you feel dreamy or sexy, it doesn't belong. <laughs> I'm really a stickler for this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. true. Even with the lighting too, I think. Yeah. Yes. So the yes. responsibilities and we always need to have good lighting because I feel like even women who I think have like the most perfect bodies, you know, we all have our insecurities. The way, like if you've got some like harsh ass dressing room lighting compared to like some <laughs> soft lighting, I'm like, dude, my skin looks amazing. amazing. Yes. <laughs> and it makes a huge difference when you feel good about, you know, how you look naked. That definitely oh. impacts everything too. Totally. Yeah. Lighting, lighting is a great example. And to get that kind of what I call the soap opera glow, if you ever watch soap operas, there's always like this kind of dim lighting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the soap opera glow, you can get it from candles, like real candles, or even the little electronic candles. If you are worried about burning your house down or your hair getting on fire when you're rolling around. So candles is a great way to give you a soft glow in the bedroom. So you can still see each other and see the curvature of bodies, but not necessarily like the harsh 
reality of blackheads and you know yeah and (laughs) And cellulite and all that other stuff that we're like oh I don't want my partner to see that yeah the environment is a is a big deal it's a bigger deal than we make it making your environment dreamy or sexy is really important asking for help so that your responsibilities are offloaded right um one of the questions on this 20 sex enhancing questions handout that I have on my website is ask your partner what helps you relax during the day that I can do to help you be fully present during sex at night? This is a beautiful question and you will definitely get action if you ask your partner this question because anything that you can do to help your partner or anything that you can ask from your partner to help relieve some of those feelings of responsibility will help you show up more fully in your erotic space. So those are two things. Those are environmental things. And then a third thing that can help kind of improve your sex life, regardless of what an issue might be or problem might be, is to get really clear on what you want to feel during sex. So every couple that comes into the practice, I ask them this one question. If I had a magic wand and I could fast forward you into a future where sex was exactly where what you wanted it to be, what would you be feeling? And so they write down you know, these words like, I want to feel pleasure, connection, intimacy, excitement, dominated, submissive, wild, whatever those feelings are. And then their partner does the same thing. I want to feel, you know, emotionally connected and loved and, you know, intimate and all these other words. And so from those words, we can number one, find some similarities like, oh, you wrote down excited and I wrote down excited. Okay. But you're excited is you want to have like whips and chains and swinging from the chandeliers and panties on the ceiling. And my (laughs) excited is like, sex with more lights on. You're (laughs) like, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you are helping them get kind of find that middle of the road or give them the confidence to embark on whichever direction they want to go. Exactly. Exactly. So you're finding some common ground in what you want to feel emotionally. And then all of our behaviors, we do them because we want to feel something. So if you start with the emotion first, what you want to feel, then you can build in behaviors behind that and kind of get more clear on what feels intimate to you, what feels intimate to me, what feels pleasurable to you, what feels pleasurable to me, knowing that you're working towards a lot of the same emotional goals. I love that. I love that. (laughs) See, I'm lucky in that I'm very, well, probably everybody else is unlucky for this reason, but I'm lucky that I'm very outspoken and I've always kind of felt comfortable talking about sex. And that's always been something that like in relationships, I've always been able to kind of just say, say it how it is and be like, well, this is how I am. You like it? You don't? Okay. Well, this is how I am. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, say, and you, I kind of, you have to be, well, if, unfortunately, you know, because I am that way, I don't mind hand holding and doing those kind of things. But I do know a lot of people who are not comfortable with doing those, having those kind of conversations and stuff yeah. like that, which is why it's amazing to have people like you that can <laughs> step in and kind of give them the confidence and prompts to get that conversation started and have them feel comfortable about discussing these kind of things. Because I know so many moms, so many women mm-hmm. who have horrible sex lives and yeah. they're so sad and they're bummed out and then it makes them feel insecure. It makes them feel bad about themselves because they're thinking there's something wrong with them. And it just, it impacts your relationship so much. And I really feel like, yes, you can talk to your girlfriends about it and get advice, but sometimes you got to bring in the experts to kind of like walk you through it and say, hey, 
okay, let's let's talk about this and get them on the same page or at least, you know, in agreement of what things they can experiment with. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really common feeling among many, many people, especially vulva owners, clitoris owners, because we are never taught that sex is a learned skill. So if you feel like sex is difficult or hard to talk about, know that it's not your fault. It's typically our society's fault for not teaching us how to have sexual conversations, teaching us that sex is for pleasure, not just for reproduction, teaching us that it's okay to ask for what you want as a female, right? And so if you feel like sex is hard, know that one, it's not your fault and you're not alone. And two, that it can get better because sex is a learned behavior, right? It is not natural. It is something that you learn. It is biological. We are built to have sex with each other, but it is not natural. Just like we are built to eat food, but you have to learn how to cook food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so we feel ashamed when we don't know naturally what to do when in fact sex is a learned skill that if nobody has ever taught you or, or you haven't learned together with somebody that you won't know how to do. And it's something that we relearn over and over and over, even in the same relationship, like sex changes when you have kids, when you're going through grief, when you have a mastectomy, when you have illness, when you have celebration, right? Sex changes over time. And so we have to relearn it even with our same partners. So sex is a learned skill. It can get better. It takes some work, but it absolutely is worth it. Definitely. I feel like most of us, I mean, like that's the only way you're going to learn is if you do it repeatedly or I feel like, you know, as a kid or a teenager or whenever you started having, well, hopefully not a kid, whenever you started having <laughs> yeah, sex yeah. or teen, twenties, whatever, yeah. um, it's like we rely on the movies or you yes. will look at porn, but then there's some people who are like, okay, they might want to watch it. So they try to figure out like what they're supposed to do, especially when yeah. they, you know, start putting themselves back or once they actually start having sex. Um, but obviously, you know, we know how like fake some of those pornos, some of them are good. Some of them are so fake, yeah. but it's like, you can't really learn like regardless the basic education. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. You just, you just got to practice. It's like you say, yeah. it's, it's learned. It's, and with you, it's like, you know, you had, you know, having been a virgin on your wedding day and I can only imagine the first couple times I had sex. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. And I didn't want to do it. It's the same thing where you have that feeling like yeah. this is not comfortable. This is painful. I don't even want to do it. We're always given this idea that it's just supposed to be like, if you want each other or if you love each other enough, it's just going to be great, you know? And it's such a lie. It is. <laughs> like it can be sometimes it can be really, really great the first time for sure. And there's a lot of people that have really great first experiences, but it's still something you have to continue to learn. And it's not just a given that it's going to be great because you're, you have a good connection outside of sex. Yes. True that. Are there any like health benefits to having sex? In what ways does it help us in our relationship? Yeah, well, there's kind of the obvious parts are connective because we find connection in vulnerability, right? And you are no more vulnerable than when you're literally naked with somebody and like losing control. And I say losing control because things like orgasms are an involuntary contraction of your pelvic floor muscles. Like you don't, once you get there, you don't have control of it until it's, until you're, it's done. Right. So you're losing control at times or losing yourself. 
um, in this very vulnerable space. And that when it's done well is very connective. So for the relationship, it is a very connective thing for you personally, as we'll talk to women, because I think most of your listeners are women as a woman, it can help you, for example, get rid of a headache because of the rush of endorphins, right? It can help you. It can help you feel less stressed if you can allow yourself to um, remove kind of those responsibilities from your brain and sink into the moment and feel the wisdom of your body. It can help you feel less stressed afterwards. And it can just keep you, keep you healthy. It is a, it is at times a very vigorous activity. And so, (laughs) or maybe take some modicum of flexibility or conversation, you know, it's just, it it employs a lot of the things that we do outside of sex in one kind of specific area. So there's, there's lots of health benefits from sex for sure. True. And it helps you fall asleep. You guys, you know, if you have trouble falling asleep, even if it's two minute (laughs) to pump chump, (laughs) 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 it works. It works. Exactly. Exactly. So what are the top five things to elevate our sex life? It's a fantastic question. And so I'll start with intentionality. I often suggest to clients that they make sex or sexual experiences more intentional, meaning talk about when it's going to happen, if not plan for it. So everybody rolls their eyes into the back of their heads when I say schedule sex. And so I don't say schedule sex. I say make sex more intentional. It doesn't mean that you have to put it on the Google calendar, but it does mean that you need to have conversations about when it's going to happen. And just as important when it's not going to happen, because when you sex, make sex intentional, like, hey, listen, you're off of work on Thursday, the kids are at school or wherever they are, COVID school, <laughs> who knows. But if you have some moment of togetherness where your responsibilities are more limited, um, make some intentional time for that because you want it to be a priority in your life. You make everything else intentional. When you, when you go for a walk, when you go work out, when you go to the dentist, all of that is intentional because it's prioritized to you. So make sex intentional. It doesn't mean that you are cutting out spontaneity. It doesn't mean that sex is going to be worse. In fact, we know that people who talk about when to have sex have better sex because they have time to prepare and time to anticipate and time to think about it. And they have off time, which is just as important. So say if we're going to have sex on Thursday, I know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we can connect in all these other different ways. And I'm not constantly trying to think like, oh, do they want sex? Was that touch like a sexual touch or, or what was going on there? You know. And so you have all of this intentional off time to where you can just cuddle and know that sex is going to happen on Thursday. So it's eliminating anxiety and improving anticipation. Um, and my, one of my favorite sexologists, Cindy, Cindy Darnell says great sex, great spontaneous sex takes hours and hours and hours of anticipation. (laughs) People say all the time, I want sex to be spontaneous. Like it was when we were dating. And I always challenge this because truly spontaneous sex would be like, I'm walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden I'm having sex. And that's (laughs) not sex that most of us want to have. That's non, you know, non-consensual. We didn't know about it. But when you were dating, think about that. 
think about when you're dating, you're probably not, you may not be living together and you knew that you were going to see each other on a certain day. So what did you do? You shaved your legs, right? You Mm -hmm. anticipated, you knew that things were probably going to happen. So it was not that spontaneous. Yes. You totally planned for it and you had way less responsibility. So it was easier. So I just challenged the idea that spontaneity is really what people going are going for. I really think what people are going for is the heightened feelings of desire. Like I want to feel desired is what people actually want. So anticipating sex through intentionality can be a really great way to increase desire and lower uh, anxiety. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my TED talk. I know. <laughs> about intentional sex. I feel really yeah. No, I think that this. that's no. I I agree. No, I I totally agree. I I actually have a friend. I think I mentioned it before in a different episode. I have a friend who schedules sex. She has five kids, and both her and her husband work full time, and that's. Pretty much the only time it can happen is when they have it on the calendar. So Thursday is their sexy time. And we always joke around like, oh, you can't call so-and-so at this time or meet her, ask her to meet up for drinks or dinner <laughs> yeah. because she's having her sexy time and stuff. And it's, it's, it's funny. We all, we all joke around, but it's true. That's what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, you, get, you do what you got to do to make things happen. What would you say to the women who maybe their partners, they do feel comfortable talking about sex? And you've got a partner that says give me a blowjob. Maybe the girl doesn't feel comfortable giving a blowjob or she doesn't feel confident in how to do it. How would you guide her on like what to say or like what to do? Never, ever, ever do anything you really don't want to do. It's the first rule of sex. (laughs) Never, ever, ever do anything you don't really want to do. And so when we're talking about blowjobs, this is very, very common for women to not feel comfortable giving a blowjob because a lot of us have had bad blowjob experiences, like somebody pushing our shoulders down or pushing our head down when you're making out. And those can be traumatic. And if she was a client of mine and we were talking together, um, I would probably um, start with the awareness exercise that we talked about earlier. Um, What do each of you want to feel? So asking him what he really wants to feel um, in terms of a blowjob is helpful because then we can say like, Oh, he really just, it feels, you know, wild. It feels erotic. It's something that she doesn't do very often. So it feels extra special or whatever it is. Right. And so getting to that can help her feel more comfortable doing it instead of it feeling maybe dirty. A lot of women feel that giving a blowjob is a like a dirty act. And so the next step would be to deconstruct why that feels the way it feels. Why does it feel gross? You know, where you did you grow up in a household where you were told that sex is, you know, for marriage and you shouldn't do any kind of sex at all? Um, Were you, did you grow up in a household or a system where you were never taught about penises or that you, you know, didn't, aren't comfortable touching one or aren't comfortable with, you know, fluids that come out of a penis and things like that? So deconstructing why the feeling is there is the second step. And then maybe starting by going slower, slowly, if she becomes aware of what she really wants to feel, why she feels the way she does right now about a penis, and then start going slowly, maybe starting with like licking the penis with a flavored lubricant. So it, it tastes like caramel apples or whatever. <laughs> or pumpkin spice lattes. Pumpkin okay. spice latte. We'll be super basic bitch about this yeah. and just start with a pumpkin latte. Yeah, exactly. 
so start with some licks, right? And then, you know, finish sex in a different way. And then the next time put it a little bit more in your mouth, right? So it's just about kind of going slow, helping somebody to feel comfortable and really helping the couple figure out a way to help both people meet their emotional needs in their physical space. That's such good advice. And that's applicable to a lot of different things. I mean, if your partner wants to try one thing and you're not comfortable with, you know, like the S&M stuff, the chains or the whips or any of, even including sex toys, some women prefer not to use them or they are, they think it's gross or weird Mm -hmm. or whatever. And a lot of those things, I think there's shame attached to it, or there's a stigma or they'll see something in a movie or they'll you know, the see the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco where everybody's whipping each other right, <laughs> and right. in, in leather and, and they get this certain image and think, oh, I'm not a part of that. And they're, they're afraid to kind of venture into that. But I always, I always try to tell my friends, I'm like, you know, just keep an open mind. Yes, do what you're comfortable with. But I feel like pretty much everything, there's certain little steps that you could still give your partner what they want but just bait, you know, but the intensity is based on your comfort level. So no, you might not want to jump right into hanging from the ceiling, but maybe, you know, you will experiment with, you know, a little leather belt or something. something. Yeah. Restraints Mm -hmm. or something to kind of like your introductory to get yourself in there. And maybe that is good enough for the woman or it's good enough for the, your partner. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you feel good about that. But I, I think that it's, that breaking down like why they feel the way they do about things. It's good to, to, to talk about that with your partner Absolutely. because instead of jumping into like, you're weird or why would you want to do that? Or does this mean you're, I'm not good enough for you? Like mm-hmm. just me on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually have a friend who, I don't know, they, their kids are out of the house now. So I think, I don't know if they have like the empty nest syndrome or whatnot, but she, she was kind of venting about their sex life. And she's like, you know, my, my husband's mentioned doing like swinging stuff and I'm scared. And I'm like, Oh man. I said, I don't know what to advise you there. I said, but you guys, I said, if it's something that he wants to do and you're not interested in, I said, you're going to have to, that's a conversation that you guys are going to have to really talk long and hard about it. But for her, it was such a huge kind of slap in the face because she felt like, does that mean that my husband doesn't find me attractive anymore or he doesn't like me or I'm not fulfilling his needs? Yeah. That's really common. We talk a lot about like sexual fantasies or desires and we, and most of us have kind of sexual fantasies or things we think about when we masturbate. Very common. It would be like a threesome or swinging or different things like that. And a lot of times the, the things we fantasize about aren't actually the things that we would do But if we can understand the emotional need underneath it, you know, maybe fantasize about being dominated and, you know, tied down and handcuffed and whipped with a flogger, but that's like a little outside of your comfort zone in your relationship. Maybe it's because you like the idea of being submissive because you make all of the decisions all day and you are in a, you know, a corporate job and you have this really high stress pressure situations every day where you have to make all the decisions and in sex, you'd like to just not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's what it's about a little bit more than the feelings of being flogged. Maybe it's about 
feeling submissive. And there's also a couple of nice terms from the um, kink community, from the BDSM community that can be helpful for anybody who has sex. And those terms are hard limits and soft limits. So when you're talking about trying new things in your sex life, you can have hard limits like this is a hell no, don't ever ask me again, right? That's a hard limit. (laughs) Then there are soft limits like I'm not real comfortable right now with that, but let's continue to have this conversation, right? So that can kind of divvy out how you feel about certain things without having to say yes or no, right? I like that. I didn't, I hadn't heard about that. Soft limit. Yeah. Cause you know how men are and like always wanting, I don't know. Well, I won't, I'll speak for my husband. <laughs> what is the obsession with fucking butt sex? <laughs> I'm like, why do all guys want to have fucking butt sex? I'm like, dude. Yeah, with anal sex. So the things that people like, we can see pretty direct links to what's popular in pornography. So, you know, 20 years ago, it was, you know, something else. It wasn't necessarily anal, but there's a lot of anal sex right now. Now it's squirting, right? People are really into making their partner squirt. And so it's very directly related to um, what's popular in pornography. <laughs> so crazy. I know it is. Well, guys, and, it, and it's so like movies are always extreme and por- not to mm-hmm. say that they can't squirt or pee or whatever on their partner, mm-hmm. but I'm like, movies are always pushing the limits, just like pornography is always pushing the limits. So I think guys just like, they see it and think like, oh, there's tons of women and people out in the world <laughs> that are doing this and I'm not, I got to fucking try it. And it's like, dude, know your role, slow down. It's all yeah. good. Well, baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. Or no, not at all. You're watching a fucking porno with the person that that's what they get paid to do. So yeah. they, they, they're probably just like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of anal sex, there are ways to make anal sex. It should not hurt. It should be pleasurable. And there are definitely ways to make anal sex or in any kind of anal play pleasurable, regardless of if you own a penis or a clitoris. So just know that there are ways to do that. I teach classes about booty basics, how to have Oh, I love sex. that. Booty <laughs> basics. Oh my gosh. I'm not telling my husband. He's going to be like, babe, sign up for that class. I also noticed on your Instagram you, I don't know if you do this normally, but you would let a course on mastering the blowjob too, which is why I'd mentioned the blowjob thing earlier. Yeah. So I'm like, that is so cool that you yeah. teach those classes too. And I, I didn't even know that things like that existed, like where you could attend a class just to yeah. learn about those things. Cause you know, women were always, you know, just talking to one another and like trying to like, so what is your husband like? What or what is this do? person <laughs> like? What do you do? Or how do you do yeah. this? And you know, And obviously every person is different too. So, but no, I think that's so cool that you teach that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sex education is really fun because you can take a thing like, like blowjobs, for example, where a lot of women have lots of negative experiences around them. And when I teach my blowjob course in person, I have a dildo stuck to a mirror that's attached to the table. And so you're actually looking at yourself and what it looks like to suck a dick And it can feel really intimidating. But at the end of the class, my goal for you is to feel empowered. Like this is not just something that I do because my husband or my partner wants it. This is something I do because I can do it really well. And I know how to make my partner putty in my hands when I do this thing, right? It's a totally different ball game when you feel empowered to give pleasure, And so, you know, you take something like a blowjob class that feels 
at times kind of misogynistic, like, why do I want to take a fucking blowjob class? <laughs> but then if you make it about empowerment and about um, agency and about knowing what you're doing, then it becomes hardly about the penis owner at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. You literally have them by the balls because they're like, damn, she is so good. And maybe yes. they will just give in to you and give you whatever you want. Yes, you can have that Louis Vuitton purse. <laughs> yes, you could go to Target and spend $300 on nothing. Oh yeah, baby. Sure. But you're going to give me a BJ tonight, right? Okay. Right? Okay, cool. Right. All right, we're in. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a, a form of control. If you're able to master it, you're like, mm, okay. Like a form of currency. <laughs> a currency. Sex is a negotiation. I wouldn't use it as manipulation. Population, but but yes, you do what you need to do in your own lives. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. So you mentioned earlier that awesome freebie that you have on your website, 20 questions to enhance your sex life. Can you share your two favorite conversation starters from that resource? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to give you plat- a platform of questions that are better than, hey, baby, what do you want? Because, hey, baby, what do you want? Can be really intimidating. (laughs) Um, And so there are just a thousand other ways to ask questions or a thousand other questions to ask that feel more helpful, maybe. Even that's the word, uh, helpful or um, connective than, you know, what do you want? So a couple of my favorite things from the question list are, Um, like what places on my body do you love to handle? Sometimes we don't ask those kind of things or what, what is your favorite place to have sex? What do you like to watch me doing to you? What's your favorite view during sex besides your genitals? Where do you love to be touched? You know, all of these things we typically don't verbalize or ask and we try and fumble around and figure out on our own or we never figure out. So this question list is a beautiful platform for enhancing your conversations about sex with your partner instead of feeling intimidated when they ask you just, what do you want? You know? Yeah, no, I think that's great that you put that together because I feel like the prompts help, especially, you know, for people who don't feel comfortable bringing those things up on their own to be able to say, Oh, look what I found on this website, babe. Do you want to kind of go through this together? This would be fun to do. And you know, you could laugh about it together. I mean, or whatever, like hopefully you can have a conversation about it, but it'll kind of that you can use that prompt if you're too nervous or embarrassed to bring it up on your own. So mamas, you need to uh, (laughs) sign up on her website to grab that freebie because y'all, we all need help in our department. Does it, I think even if your sex life, you think your sex life is amazing, it could always be like, you know, one ting higher. There's a, and it's good because you learn, you learn more things about your partner as you know your sex life goes on, as you get to know them better, and as you feel more comfortable in that department too. Because I feel like, especially newbies, you know, people who were recently married, and yeah, they might be together for a couple years, but sometimes they've never really had any of those conversations about right. sex. They still don't know what their husband likes. They right. you, they still, they just are kind of stuck with, okay, well, you know, we had a baby, you know, we do this, we do that. And it's all kind of just very basic, which is fine. If that's what you like, then that's fine. But I feel like it's so important, especially, you know, if you want to have that 80, 90 years of marriage yeah. or that long lasting <laughs> marriage, having those conversations about sex matters. Uh, And and we know that right now, you know, being in the thick of things, sometimes, you know, sex could be like the last 
thing that you want to talk about, the last thing you want to do. But in the long run, that's what's going to keep you connected with your partner. It doesn't always have to be penetration, but sex, intimacy, all of that is what keeps us together. So it's worth investing that time, investing those conversations and finding out what you and your partner like. Absolutely. I love that you just said it doesn't have to be penetration because this is something I have another soapbox on is that you can have a lot of great sex without penetration, like just more broadly define your definition of sex. Because if our definition of sex is penis going into a vagina, one, that's really limit limiting to the way we view sex. If both partners don't have, you know, maybe both partners have a penis or both partners have a vulva. So that it's limiting that way. Um, And then two, if most women have their first and most of their orgasms through clitoral stimulation, not vaginal stimulation, defining sex by penis going into a vagina is incredibly male pleasure centered. You're (laughs) right. Um, so broadly define your definition of sex, whether that's, you you know, grinding on each other or oral or, you know, rubbing or fingering or whatever it is, that's okay. Whatever sex is for you that feels really good and feels really connective. That's beautiful. Yes. So where can our listeners find you on the interwebs, learn about the courses that you offer, that freebie and how we can keep things sizzling in the bedroom? Yes, I love that. So you can find me at drcelesteholbrook.com. That's with a D-R, drcelesteholbrook.com. And that's where you can sign up for a 30-minute complimentary discovery call where we can chat and I can um, help you figure out what might be great next steps for you, whether that's with me or with a book or with somebody else, I can help you find direction there. You can also download that 20 sex enhancing questions on my website there. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Celeste Holbrook. And yeah, there you go. Thank you so much for listening to Mom After Hours. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Dr. Celeste today. I learned a thing or two. I hope you did too. And I really hope your kids did not walk in while you were listening to that episode. (laughs) If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Celeste, check out the show notes at momafterhours.com forward slash episodes. And if you learned anything from this episode, even if it did make you a little red faced, feel free to share it with a mama so she could be sexually inspired too. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Bye.